This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Hey, you and I encounter doors every single day. You woke up, you went through your bathroom door, you went into your closet door. When you got here, you went into the car door. When you entered church, you came through doors. Right? Doors symbolize something. There's do- doors all over the world. Here's a picture of different types of doors. They're all over. Doors aren't anything new. Doors have been around since even the Hebrew slaves and the 10 plagues. And the last of the 10 plagues was the death of the firstborn. They put blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Right? So, so doors have always symbolized something very important. Whether they symbolize an entrance or an exit into something or a place. Right? And so you and I make door decisions every single day of our life. We decide which door we're going to walk through and which door we're going to walk out of. And we walk through these daily, doorly decisions all the time. And and so it's crazy. Like people have different opinions on doors and what doors should look like and all these different things. We just painted our house. Everybody had an opinion on what color my wife should paint the door. She didn't listen to anybody but Joanna Gaines. And so that's what we did. Okay. (laughs) But, but like every, the doors are everywhere and doors are unique and doors serve a purpose. But, but obviously doors, most importantly, right, to our house, they protect us from what's outside. None of you last night, like, hey, just leave the door wide open. Let the cool breeze come in tonight. Okay. No, you shut the door. And usually the spouse asks, did you lock the door? Right. That's, that's usually the question that happens. And so doors have a lot of symbolism. And we're actually going to talk about a very specific door because in life, there are a lot of doors you can choose to go into. But there's this unique man that refers to himself as the door. That's a weird nickname to give yourself. Like, I'm the door. But when you understand why he calls himself the door, it kind of blows your mind. It's really powerful. So if you have your Bibles... We're going to look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. If you've never owned a Bible, let me know. I'd love to send you your first Bible ever, okay? So here's John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly. There's a couple times throughout the gospel where Jesus uses this phrase, truly, truly. It's not like my nine-year-old son saying, no, dad, I swear I'm telling you the truth. Well, does that mean every other time you're not telling me the truth, son? Right? When we always put an emphasis, I swear, I swear. Well, why are you swearing? Just tell me the truth. You don't have to. But that's not what this is at all. Anytime Jesus says truly, truly, or some versions say verily, verily, he is saying what I'm about to tell you is really important. So listen. So that's what Jesus is doing. He said, I'm about to tell you something really important. And so listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief. We're going to come back to this word thief. And a robber, right? So he's saying the man that doesn't come through the door, but tries to say, I'm going to figure out my own way and I'm not going to go through the door and I'll I'll just live life how I want to live and I'm going to figure it out on my own. Right? It, there is no Oprah Winfreyanism in here. We're like, hey, that's what's true for you, and that's what's true for you, and you can get in the door this way, and you can get in the door this way, and you get a car, and you get a car. No, that's not how this works. It, there's, there's one way through this door, and he's saying, no one that comes through anyone else but me will get in. He, he's saying, this is the way. And so, so there's one door, right, that promises life, yet this door leads to death. And then there's another door that promises us that we got to die to ourselves and actually leads to life, right? So, so this door says, hey, 
You be your own God. You be self-righteous. You judge others. You sit on that throne. You act like you got it all together. You go to church. You get your nose in the air. You be a spiritual elite. That's a self-righteousness. Jesus rebuked people that walked through that door. Matter of fact, he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, why are you judging everybody else? We first clean the inside of your heart. When you get in the self-righteous place, you're never examining yourself because you're always judging and criticizing everyone else. You're walking through the wrong door, right? So so the the opposite of self-righteousness when you walk through this door is surrender. You surrender to him. You you walk through this door, it's a daily death to self. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die is gain. That's a different door to walk through than this door. But this door looks attractive. Adam, this this door is gold and this door is is broad and wide. Yet Matthew 7.14, these doors are different sizes intentionally. Matthew 7.14 says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. Right, this looks attractive. This, look, this, this says, hey, chase fame. Get all your blog followers and your Facebook friends and, and make it all about you and, and people knowing your name and leaving your name. You know what's crazy? About 95% of you in here couldn't even tell me the name, first and last names of your great, great grandparents. And, and that's your own blood. That's your own family. And you can't even remember the first and last name of your great, great grandparents. And you want to chase making your name famous? You want to chase that, right? Because this door says, no, 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 no. It's not about you. This is the way of humility. Philippians 2 describes that Christ was the perfect example of humility. It's not about you. It'll never be about you. This door said it's all about you. Come on. You, you need to focus on you and yourself and, and what you're going to get out of this world and who you're going to be and how many followers you're going to get and how much money you're going to accumulate and, and what you're going to be. Th- this door says, hey, chase pleasure. Whether it be through alcohol, pornography, drugs, addictions, money, materials, boats, cars. Chase pleasure. Be a hedonist. Go through that door and just make sure whatever you do in life, seek your pleasure. And fill it up with as much pleasure as you can. But this door actually gives you fulfillment apart from those things. True fulfillment. True satisfaction, right? This this door says, hey, be bitter. Pursue bitterness. Don't forgive people. Hold on to it. And when you're bitter towards people, you never see the good in anyone because you refuse to because your bitterness doesn't allow you to see the good in other people. Matter of fact, the crazy thing about bitterness is locking yourself in a cage and one day you wake up realizing you're the only one that holds the key to let yourself out. And this, this door is the opposite of bitterness. It's forgiveness. It understands Ephesians 4, 30 and 31, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How dare we have the audacity to hold on to this bitterness but embrace the forgiveness of this door? And so we make these decisions every day. We go through these doors every day. I want pleasure. I want these things. I want anger. I want hate. I want bitterness. And you make decisions every day, you and I, to walk through these doors. And we walk through these doors and we walk out of these doors. And every single day, when you leave here, you'll walk through a door. And it'll be a reminder. Am I going to walk through the door of self-righteousness and fame and pleasure and bitterness? Am I going to walk through the door of surrender, humility, true fulfillment, and forgiveness? C.S. Lewis says it best in his book, Mere Christianity. If I find within myself a desire in which this world cannot satisfy, the only probable explanation is I was made for another world. This, this was never meant to fulfill you. And so we continually walk through this door, don't we? We continually walk through this door every day only to wake up the next morning and be like, man, that didn't fulfill. 
Why is my heart still empty? Why am I still hungry? Why am I still dissatisfied? Because this door was never meant to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And you can keep trying to walk through it and try to walk through different ways, but that this door wasn't meant to do that. And when you walk through that door, you still wake up the next morning, walk out that door and say, that didn't satisfy because it was never intended to. Right? John 10, 2 through 3 goes on to say, but he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. By the way, we're all sheep. All of us are sheep. I don't care if your name is Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. I don't care if you're a billionaire. I don't care if you're homeless. We're all sheep. Every single person is sheep. Now, some sheep are found and some sheep are lost. But by the way, all sheep are dumb. (laughs) I've never met a smart sheep. Doesn't sit, doesn't shake, doesn't roll over. No. Sheep aren't doing that. And, and, and. Jesus here is saying, hey, everyone's a sheep, just whether or not they hear the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd. Well, what a paradox, right? That that Jesus is referring to himself as the shepherd, the good shepherd, and then he becomes the lamb. What an amazing paradox, right? To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by the name and leads them out. They, They hear his voice, and they know his voice because they spend time listening to his voice. They're with him all day. How do you know the voice of your shepherd? You listen to him. You spend time in his word. You pray. Right? What I love about this text, don't miss this, the sheep hear his voice and he calls them his own sheep by name. Right? So he brings them into these safe places at night. And then in the morning, it says he leads them out. That's, that's, don't look past this. So think about that. Sheep had a bad day. Some sheep have some bad days. Right? Sheep wandered off. What does it say? He can have all 99 sheep. He's going to go get that one. That, 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 let's just put it into some contextualization here. The, the sheep went and partied. The sheep went and cheated. The sheep went and stole. The sheep went and did something it shouldn't have done. Well, the shepherd goes and gets that sheep, brings it into the pen, and he gets to sleep in safety that night, wakes up the next morning, leads them out into green pastures, and he gets a new day. And I thought about that, and I was like, man, that ties into Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, which says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Not for dumb sheep, not for dumb people. They are new every morning. You ever read a passage of scripture 10 or 15 times, and like, for whatever reason, it just hits you different than any other time you've read it. That happened to me a few weeks back. And it was this verse. And it was just like, holy, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you different times in your life, different things he wants you to learn. And he wanted me to learn this, I believe, to share with you and encourage all of you. So I used to think, man, I got to wait until tomorrow morning before I get some new morning mercies. I blew it yesterday. I need a new morning, right? Some of you already blew it on the way to church. For whatever reason, the banter between husband and wife on the church is the sharpest on Sundays. Can I get amen? Yeah, the devil's trying to get at you, right? He's right. I just saw a wife nudge her husband, right? So it, it just is. It never fails. Sunday mornings, we're going at each other's throats, right? Getting on time. One likes to be on time. The other doesn't like to be on time. But guess what? Here's the good news. You don't have to wait until tomorrow morning to get new morning mercies. That's not how it works. Because God is omnipresent. So what that means is God isn't only subject to Branson, Missouri. God isn't just here. God's in Japan. God's in Australia. Look at this picture. Let me explain what I'm saying here, right? So if God is omnipresent and he's over the entire universe, then when it is morning in Branson, Missouri, it's also about to be morning in Hawaii. And then it will be morning in Asia. And then it will be morning in Europe. And then it will be morning on the uh, west coast of Africa. And then it will be morning over Iceland and Greenland. You see what I'm saying? 
It's never not morning to an omnipresent sovereign God, which means his mercies aren't new every morning. His mercies are new every single second of your day. Amen. Yes, you can clap for that. You don't got to wait 24 hours to get his forgiveness. He's giving it to you right now in the second, which means it doesn't matter how you came in here today. His mercies are new every single second. They never come to an end. And he never grows tired of painting sunrises and sunsets that look completely different every second of every day for eternity. That's how amazing our God is. And he leads the sheep out every morning and says, you're forgiven. When you walk through this door, you're forgiven. Now, you got to watch out. That broad door, it's going to get you to walk in guilt. It's going to get you to walk in shame. It's going to get you to walk in bitterness. Come here. This, 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 this looks good. No. It promises life. What leads to death. Promises you if you die to yourself, you'll find true life. Right? John 10, 4 goes on to say, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. That's such a powerful phrase. For they know his voice. Yeah, you, you could, if you've ever been over to Israel or have ever been around a shepherd and, and seen him interact, you can try. It's kind of like you guys that have dogs, right? You can try to get someone to come to the voice. My, my wife likes it when I walk our dog. It's not because she's lazy. She loves walking. But our dog will listen to me, like immediately. There's some, you guys know that are dog trainers. There's something about the alpha male. And our dog will walk three feet away from me and I'll, I'll give a command and she'll stop in her tracks and sit down. My wife... That dog's gone. Tries to give the exact same command, tell the dog the exact same thing, and she's like, I can get away with this. I, I, I know she's not going to discipline me. And that dog is gone, right? It, it's the same thing with a sheep. You've seen a really well-trained dog that listens to the voice of its master. It's the same thing. Sheep don't listen to the voice of the enemy. But, but how do you know when the enemy is trying to speak to you and lie to you? It's because you have to know this voice. You have to know what is truth. You have to spend time in the word so that when actually those darts, those lies come at you, you're able to discern what is true and what it's not going to fulfill, what's going to tear you apart, right? goes on to say in John chapter 10, verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You see, followers of the good shepherd don't follow strangers, Followers of the good shepherd choose not to go through this door because they know the stranger doesn't have best interest. Remember, it's called a personal relationship with Jesus. When you have a personal relationship with someone, your spouse, your kids, your family, your neighbors, you know their voice. They can call you. They don't ever have to say, hey, this is Mark. I know who it is. I've heard your voice for 35 years. You don't have to tell me who you are. You know their voice. When you have a relationship you know the voice. And then when someone calls and starts talking like you know you, you're like, I- I- I'm sorry, I lost your number. Who is this? Because you don't know the voice. And so anytime you hear a voice you don't recognize, that should put a red flag up in your life. Like, oh, I-, I don't recognize this voice, but I recognize this voice. But this voice tries to masquerade itself. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, the de- devil masquerades as an angel of light. That, that means he's not like a Halloween costume with a red mask, horns, tail, and a pitchfork. That's not what the devil looks like at all. The devil looks shiny. There's a reason why I painted this door gold, right? Like, like this, this rock isn't really gold. If it was, you'd all be tackling me to take it to cash it in right now, okay? 
It's, it's, it's pyrite, fool's gold. It's painted with gold. It shines, it's glittery. It might have an illusion of gold. It's not, you all know this thing. It's a junky old Ozark rock that I picked up and painted. Right? But it can look like gold and it can look really attractive. And, and chasing these things can look really alluring. Right? Just like the bass in old Taney Como that, man, that looks really good. But as soon as he eats it, boy, does he regret it. Boy, does he regret that. It's the same thing. As soon as you go through this door, you've been there. You and I have been there. I've been there in my life. Man, I wish I never would have walked through that door. But God continually gives us grace and forgiveness through that door. Right? He masquerades as an angel of light. You know, uh, there's sayings in life that you maybe have heard, but you never knew where they came from. How about that came out of left field? Any of you guys ever heard of that saying? Hey, yeah, so that, there's a true story behind this. So Wrigleyville, where the Chicago Cubs play in Wrigley Field, outside of left field, if you know, it's right in the middle of Wrigleyville. Well, there used to be a saint asylum out behind left field in the Ivy out there in Wrigleyville. It's a true story. And so there'd be these crazy screams and yells that would come from the psychiatric ward. And people were like, whoa, what was that? And, well, it came out of left field. Pointing to the saint asylum. It's a true story. There, there's another saying, like the, like the sheep, right? That looks like a bunch of you hippies from the 70s. But, but there, there's, there's another saying you may have heard, and that's, they pulled the wool over his eyes. Any of you ever heard of that saying? He pulled the wool over their eyes. Well, a lot of people don't know where that saying came from. Well, I'm going to tell you. It's really fascinating when you study this stuff. So when the sheep pulled the wool over their eyes, what would happen is after the shepherd would let them graze all day and then bring them back into the pen at night, he would take every single sheep in single file line and he would just skim through their wool to make sure there weren't any ticks or bugs or pests or anything that could be detrimental to that sheep's life. Well, what would happen when the wool would get too long, he could no longer see them or or get and pull them out to save that sheep's life. You see, the devil wants to pull the wool over your eyes so that you don't see the little ticks and the mites that are going to ultimately lead to your death. Oh, it's not really that big of a deal if you do blank. Really? That's what he wants you to think. Matter of fact, that goes over thousands of years ago. Surely God didn't say this. Sound familiar? If he can just let that wool grow a little bit in your life to where we can't see the ticks and the mites and those things that lead to death, the enemy can pull the wool over our eyes. That's where that phrase actually comes from. It goes back to John 10 verse 6 says this. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand. I told you they were dumb. They didn't understand. And he's using these illustrations of a, of a shepherd and a door and sheep to help them understand. But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. And so it goes on to say, so Jesus again said to you, this is really important. This is really important what I'm saying. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Which means the only way the sheep get into the pasture and protection and safety is through me. I am the door. Right? Jesus also says in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will be found. And what? Knock and the door will be opened to you. And there's different people that come to Jesus in different ways. There's people that are really excited when they know Jesus and they realize, oh my gosh, he's the door. Oh my gosh. Jesus, let me in. Let me in. He opens the door. He's so excited. Yes, come in. Come in. Yes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Come through that door. There's the skeptical knocker. Man, I don't want to go to hell. 
Is this real? Is this Christianity stuff really weird? They seem weird. They're Bible thumpers. Do I really want to be a part of that? They're just different, but they do have a joy I can't explain. And they're not getting hammered. And they're not getting high. There's something different about them. Oh my gosh. Oh, you are real. Oh my goodness. I trusted and now you're here. And, and, and then there's the really broken knocker that truly sees their sin and what it did to Jesus on the cross. And, it, and it's a different kind of humble knocker that just, just a brokenness. There's a different type of knockers. But it doesn't t- matter what kind of knocker you are. Jesus says knock and the door will be open to you. You didn't find Jesus He found you. He was never lost. Remember? Omnipresent over the whole universe. He's not lost. He's not the sheep. You're the sheep. I'm the sheep. I'm lost. He found me. He brought me back into the pen. He showed me the door that leads to true life. Only through him do we have life. Only through him does he rescue you. Right? Last time I was up here eight weeks ago, I showed a clip from The Chosen. I don't know if you remember this. I encourage all of you, hey, go watch this. Some of you aren't being very obedient, okay? So I'm gonna tell you again, go watch it. It's free, it's on your phone, it's an app. I wouldn't be telling you to watch something that I thought A, was a waste of your time or B, had no biblical sustenance, okay? So I'm gonna show you a clip. And you wanna talk about when we focus on the wrong door versus who the ultimate door is? This clip's gonna unpack it. And I'm gonna show you a clip. And I want to give you the context of this clip because it's the end of episode three, season two of The Chosen. And the disciples go to Samaria. And remember, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along very well. They, they racism, divide. They, they and at the beginning of this clip, the sun is rising, so it's probably like 5, 5.30 a.m. There's this huge line, thousands of Samaritans in line to see who Jesus and the disciples are going through the line, just like if you're at like some airport that just canceled three flights. Not that I experienced that this week or anything, but, but you're in this long line. There's people, but the disciples are going and interacting with the people in the line while they're there. You're okay, good. You'll be with Jesus in just a minute. Just, just helping to calm down impatience. He'll be with you. And, and so Jesus starts healing people and ministering to people and loving on people and, and, and saving people. And this goes on all day. And it keeps going on. You can see the sun's scorching hot now. And then the sun sets. Well, the disciples had enough. They're tired. They're like, man, I want to cut out for this. Like, the guy's been there since sunrise. He's still doing ministry. Yes, Jesus was still doing ministry from the time the sun came up till it set and then some. I mean, he's just wiping himself out, literally to the point of exhaustion. Jesus is like, I'm going to pour myself out for these people. The disciples had enough and they went back to the campfire. When they went back to the campfire, this is what unfolded. Check it out. What about you? What do you mean? Has it been difficult for you all this time? The occupation, following Jewish law. My life has not been easy. Oh, it hasn't. What was more painful for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law. Why now all of a sudden? Why not all the other times you had the chance? Simon? No, no, John, I want to know. Mary had horrible trauma. She didn't choose all that happened to her. What's your excuse? What do you want me to say? I don't know what you want from me. An apology. What? 
Simon's not wrong. He could be more delicate about it, but you did choose to work for them. And you made my life even harder than it already was. And you haven't apologized. No, no, don't say it. I don't want you to apologize. It doesn't matter. What would hearing him say sorry do? I won't forgive it anyway. What keeps putting you in authority? Who are you to forgive or not to forgive? What, you're on his side? No, of course not, but you've had your problems too. What about apologizing for what you almost did to us with their omens? I didn't go through with it. I was trying to save my family's life, and I love you, John, but that's not something you have to worry about when Zeb and Salome are looking out for you. But you put me in a desperate position where I did things I would never have done otherwise. And I've repented for them. And John and James, I am sorry, but I didn't go through with it. What is your excuse? I was a successful businessman, and yet I was always behind. It wasn't your tax collector. You quit defending him. I want an answer. Hey, you're new. Do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but to still commit to it? To protect our heritage even though it never stops being painful? Because the one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. That we're all suffering together. But if, if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you betrayed that, and you spit on it. I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. All right. You said what you needed to say. Sit down, Simon. You sit down first.
What would I do without you, Ima? I had some sleep. Okay. I'm so tired. scene never gets old to me. I don't know how many times I can't shake it because I'm like the dumb sheep around the campfire complaining and arguing and not wanting to forgive. I'll never forgive you. I can't to hold on to that bitterness. And like, There's one name. When you and I take our last breath, there's one name that matters. There's one celebrity in heaven. And here they are arguing and bickering and going through this door and chasing this door around the campfire. And then the one thing, the one thing that will ever matter for all of eternity comes walking across completely exhausted because he's poured himself out for a 16-hour day in the heat and exhaustion. And all of a sudden you see it in their faces. They're looking at the door. The only door that matters, they're looking at him like, what am I chasing? What door am I walking through? Why am I going through that door? Why do I want that? Just conviction sets over their faces because in that moment they realize it's all about Jesus. It's always going to be about Jesus and it's never going to stop being about Jesus. And we want to chase fame. We want to sit on the throne that only he belongs on. We want to seek our own pleasure and satisfaction that will never suffice. see that and I'm just like gosh I'm like, what? God forgive me I don't want to walk through this door anymore no, I, I'm done with that door your door says leads to true life I want that door I want to walk through that door you're the door Jesus and look what it says in John 10 9 I am the door Why? he says, he says I am the door nothing, nothing beautiful about me nothing grand just simple just a simple door that enters you into a life that you'll never regret. But I am that door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no way to get into heaven's door except through Jesus. Period. End of discussion. And we'll go in out. They will go in and out and they will find pasture. Pasture is life for a sheep. Pasture is sustenance. Pasture is fuel. Right? And then this whole First 10 verses closes. But this is what's crazy. When he says, I'm the door, look at this. In, in ancient Israel, they would put rocks and they'd stack these rocks around when they were out in the field because they wouldn't come back to town. The shepherd was literally and physically the door. And they understood this. So when Jesus said he was the door, no sheep can get out because they will come to him. He won't let go of you. He won't let you. So, so maybe you started following Jesus and you backslid a little bit. Jesus saying, come home, son. Come home, daughter. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the most high. Come home. You can't get out and you can't get in except through Jesus. And then it closes with this verse, John 10, 10. The thief, there's that word thief again. Remember, he started in verse 1 and now he's coming back to it in verse 10. The thief comes only. It's the only reason he comes. The only thing this door does, the only thing this door does is steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy your family, kill your job, steal whatever hope you have, joy you have. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This door that we choose to walk through, that when we do and we come out, we're like, that didn't suffice. That bitterness isn't doing anything for me. 
That pleasure's not sufficing. Buying another boat didn't make me happy. More money hasn't accumulated to me having a whole heart. This door never suffices. Why? Because the only reason that door is there is to kill, steal, and destroy your life. But Jesus says, but I, I have come to may have life and have it abundantly, live it to the full. This door promises true life. And no one gets to heaven except through this door. That door being Jesus. And he said, I came for the very reason that you would have a full life. An abundant life. And this is the only door that matters. So I want you to reflect before we start taking communion. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted this on the night he'd be betrayed. And he says that communion is not for a non-believer. So hear this. We at Woodland Hills love you dearly. But if you've never walked through this door, this door being Jesus, if you've never recognized that he lived the life we all should have lived and died the death we all deserve to die, was crucified on the cross for your sins, to forgive it as far as the east is from the west and believe that he defeated the tomb and rose again and one day will come back for all of us. If you've never trusted that and you don't believe that, I'm going to ask you not to take communion because I don't want you to eat and drink judgment on yourself as scripture suggests. But I want to invite you after we do take communion to walk through this door and to meet with our prayer team over here in this prayer room and walk through the only door that matters. And you'll think, I don't want to do that. Don't ignore the spirit that's nudging in your heart right now if you've never walked through this door. That door will not satisfy your soul. I promise, I've been through that door many a times in my life. But if you are a believer, I want you to just take a second before we take communion. It calls us to examine our hearts. Is there anything that we need to confess before the good shepherd? Is there anything that we need to confess before the Father before we come into this act? So I just want to give you a second to examine your heart. night he was betrayed he took the bread 
And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. When you eat this, remember the whips and the scourging and the crown of thorns and the beating and the cross. He says, remember my body that was broken for you. In the same way, he took the wine, the cup of the wine, and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat and drink of this communion, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Father God, I pray if there's any soul in this room that's never walked through that door, I pray your spirit would grip them so great they can't leave this castle before doing so. I pray for those of us that have chosen to walk through a door that still kills and destroys, that we would know your mercies are new this second. Not tomorrow morning, but this second. And may we walk in those mercies. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. And thank you that you're coming back for those that are yours. We love you. We're so thankful. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said.